This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Julian McKenzie on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Logan and Julian along with you. We take you right now live to coverage of Chris Tannen's first media availability since being acquired by the Dallas Stars. PSN here. Um, can, you, can you talk about maybe the human elements that you mentioned of seeing your name constantly in, in the trade rumor mill and having media talk about you for as long as we did. Like, can you speak to maybe the human elements of, of what that's like for a player in your spot? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was very different for me because that's never really, really happened to me. And uh, in my 14 years. So, um, I mean, really weird for me the first few months, I think. Um, but the last, the last little bit, I, I, I feel like I, I just got adjusted to it and was, was just having fun playing hockey and uh, enjoying being around the guys. And I mean, there's, yeah, I would say earlier on in the year it was, it was a little tougher, but as the year got on, it just was sort of became a, a daily routine almost. Next, we will go to Leah. Leah. Hi, Chris. Leah Simakopoulos with the Dallas Morning News. Welcome. Um, just wanted to ask you about if you have any relationships with any of the stars currently, if anyone's reached out to you and just what the last few hours have been like for you. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, a bunch of guys have reached out, which which has been awesome and, and sort of welcomed me to the team. Um, I played, as far as relationships go, I played world championships with Dutchie. Um, I know Sags just from being in, in Toronto and then I know um Jamie Ben a little bit. I worked out a few summers with with Robertson and and Ty Delandria. Um last summer we worked out together, but as far as that, that's probably about it, I think. Next we will go back to Saad. Saad. Chris just kind of wanted to uh you know, see what, have you had any discussions yet with Pete? Do you know what your role is going to look like? And, um, you know, do you have any, I, I mean, what's your excitement knowing, you know, the guys that they already have there and Miro Haskin and Thomas Harley and kind of where you fit in all this. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited as, a, as I said, to, to join the group and, um, and help the team win. I mean, that's, that's my ultimate goal. And then, and that's why I, I ended up being traded, but, um, yeah, I've talked to Pete last night, just sort of welcomed me and um, just to get to know him a little bit. We we didn't really talk about the the hockey stuff much, just just trying to get adjusted and sort of figure out when when I'd be in town and, and when I'd be available. Um, as, as far as role goes, I'm, I feel like anyone who knows me knows uh, I'm a, a team guy and willing to do what's whatever's best for the team to to try to help this team win. We'll go back to Celine. Hey, Chris, um, can you describe, I mean, we know that you've played with Jacob for an awful long time and, and maybe that's going to be weird not seeing him in the same dressing room, but the conversations you've had with him and, and other former Flames teammates over the past few hours here, and how did you find out about the trade? Like, where were you when you, when you found out that you were getting moved? I was actually eating dinner. We decided, my wife and I decided to take our um, son out to, for like the first time since he was a uh, really young to go out eat somewhere, and uh, found out at at the table there. But um, Con Connie gave me a call and um, 
he was super professional the, the whole year and he, he's such an awesome guy. So I, I really appreciate everything he he's done for me. Um, and as far as, yeah, I've played with Marky for 10 years now. Um, we have, he, we have such a good relationship and we've, um, we've been through so many ups and downs together. So it's going to be sad uh, not playing with him for sure. And obviously there's, I've been here now for three and a half years and built some great relationships with, not only players, but trainers and, and people in management. And it's um, obviously that's, that's the hardest part. Um, but as I said earlier, I'm super excited uh, whenever, I, whenever I get the chance to get to Dallas and, and, and join the group. We'll go to Pat next. Chris, uh, I, I heard you on After Hours uh, a few weeks ago and you were talking about that that first year in the league where you played in the Stanley Cup final with Vancouver and how, how much how much kind of is that the the driving to get back there and and wanting to have that opportunity again part of why now you're in Dallas. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a huge part. I think if you're if you're playing the game not to win, you're you're probably playing for the wrong reasons, right? So um yeah I mean I sort of got thrown in the fire my first year and then was able to to play on a pretty good team and get some chances to play in some big games and in the conference finals and finals and you're sort of ever since that chasing chasing that feeling again and 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 wanting to to be able to try to win and um this gives me a, a good opportunity to do that so I'm, I'm quite happy about that We'll go back again to Saad. Hey, Chris, I just wanted to ask you about the uh, the 2022 series against Dallas and, and you know, just what was that like? And, uh, you know, we all kind of saw it being very chippy and physical and all that stuff. Just, you know, what was that seven game set like? And and I know there's been some turnover, but a lot of common faces still from from that series here in Dallas. Yeah, um, it was a great series. Too, I mean, I, that's what you expect in playoffs, right? Two two hard teams going at it and battling for for every inch inch on the ice and uh, low scoring. Both goalies were were incredible. Um, so I mean, yeah, it was a it was a really hard fought series. Um, obviously, have played against a lot of these guys for for a long time now, so um, quite for quite familiar with how they how they play and. Um, things like that. So I'm, I'm super excited to get adjusted and, and sort of learn the, the new system and, and learn how, how coach and everyone else wants me to play. And, and just to another follow-up, uh, you know, Pete talked this morning about playing in the Western conference, um, you know, against you for so long. Uh, what, what do you know about Pete, his system and, you know, obviously not playing for him, but playing against him. And even that conversation that you guys had, uh, last night, just what is your initial feel on what uh, Pete wants from you? Yeah, I mean, I've I've played against Pete now for a long time, and he's he's <laughs> initially obviously the first thing you think of is he's coached great teams. Um, every team he's coached has has had a a chance to win and and been able to go on runs, and um, he's had multiple chances to win. And I mean, I'm I'm super excited to sort of get to know him, get to, to know his, his philosophy and, and what he expects from me and, and things like that. So, I mean, that's, that's, that'll be a conversation for, for another day, but I mean, yesterday was more of just getting to know each other and um, him welcoming me to the team. We'll go back again to Celine. 
Hey, Chris, um, just on the dinner, it'll probably sound like a weird one, but but do you mind saying what restaurant it was? And like, did, did you finish your meal after and then go to packing your life or do you leave the place right away? Like, how, how was it for you in the moment during that? Um, yeah, we were at the keg. So it was weird. We were, we were like, oh, this might be a good place to take our, take our son. It was really quiet, but we knew he, he'd eat some steak and veggies and, um, sort of got to call midway through, through my meal and, um, had a bunch of calls after that. And then my wife was able to keep my son, um, occupied while, while I was gone for a, a little while and then came back, we finished our meal quickly and then just got back home. Okay. And just one more, just on your time in Calgary, Chris, what stands out for you in the three and a half years that you were here? Oh, a lot, man. Um, yeah, I just obviously like to thank everyone in Calgary from, from the ownership group down to Connie and management to Husk and, and all the coaches and trainers and, um, all the guys that, that have been here for, for a long time. Um, everyone's treated me incredibly well. Um, everyone's made me feel like this is home and um i can't really i can't thank them enough for for how incredible they they have been to to me and my family so i mean obviously that's uh, the hardest part and it's a it's a weird weird feeling but at the same time i'm extremely excited to to start a new chapter in my career and uh, meet everyone in dallas and uh, get going there we have time for a few more questions here We'll go back to Saad. Hey, Chris, uh, got kind of another quirky one. Uh, just, uh, you know, obviously can't wait number eight in Dallas. So I was just curious, uh, number three, was there any significance behind that or how did you kind of land on that? Yeah, no, no significance in it. Um, basically thought three is a half of an eight pretty much. So that's, that's sort of how I landed on it. Um, but um, yeah, I'm not, not too concerned about it. And and then also just uh, as a fellow defenseman, just what do you what have you seen from Miro Haskin in uh, in his game and and you know the way that he plays and uh, obviously you've competed against him for like four or five years now. Yeah, uh, obviously incredible talent, incredible player. Um, I mean, I remember two years ago in playoffs how how much of a challenge he was for for us to defend him and how easily he broke the puck out. And I mean, obviously one of the top top three top five defensemen in the game hands down I mean no one no one can really argue that and I, I think he's obviously still still so young so he's only only gonna get better as he uh as he gets older so it's um incredible to be on the on a blue line that uh that has him on the team Chris thank you so much for your time we look forward to seeing you down in Dallas thanks for everyone for joining us for this zoom call and uh, let us know if you need anything else. Chris, thanks again, and have a great day. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Bye. There you go. That's new Dallas Stars defenseman Chris Tanev, his first uh, media availability since the trade Wednesday that sent him from the Flames to the Dallas Stars. Of course, a couple of reporters have had a chance to talk to Chris since the trade individually, but, Julian, that was our first uh, chance in a general media setting, a Zoom call. Uh, as Chris hasn't made his way to Dallas yet, there's obviously immigration and visa issues that will prevent him from playing in uh, Dallas's first game up on Thursday here. Uh, but what did you what did you hear from Chris there? What sort of stood out uh, hearing from Chris Tanner for the first time? I, I appreciate hearing the story of uh, him being with his family at the keg. 
Uh, and that's where he learns about uh, the trade, and he has to go on the phone with uh, with Craig Conroy about it. I always like those types of stories. Where were you when you learned you were being traded? And good for him that he was able to get the phone call. We've heard stories of players uh, learning on Twitter or social media or some other player tapping them on the shoulder, being like, hey, buddy, you got to go meet with the uh, with the GM to talk. So uh, I, I appreciate that story. But just I one thing I've always appreciated with, with Chris Tanev, he's a really smart, well-spoken, eloquent man. And I've always just felt just talking to him and asking him questions, whether it's about defensive systems or how he's playing or just playing through pain. Like he provides good answers and, and he provides good perspectives. And I think people in Dallas, I was just messaging uh, my colleague, Sad Yusuf uh, from The Athletic about this. I think people in the media will appreciate being able to talk to Chris Tanev and appreciate the intelligence that he has. And I've talked to other guys in the Flames locker room who've echoed those same sentiments. He's a quiet, but he could be a funny, sharp guy. And he's obviously really smart. And the Flames are going to miss him in that room. We we discussed in that first segment why it had to happen. And, and we had our back and forth on that. But considering what he's meant to that team, on the ice and off the ice. Uh, even Craig Conroy, when we were talking today, was saying, you know, hey, I'm going to miss the person. He was a really good guy in a room. Like, you could tell that, uh, you know, Chris Tanev uh, definitely appreciates what he's been able to play through in Calgary the last three and a half years. But there's a lot of people in Calgary who are going to miss him too. Yeah, we'll see as soon as Saturday uh, when the Flames welcome in the Pittsburgh Penguins to the Dome for Mika Kiprasov's jersey retirement night at the, at the Dome. But, yeah, that impact, I think, is going to be felt Immediately, and it's interesting because it's been a topic that Pat's gone back and forth with on on Flames Talk with Wes or Aaron, or even sometimes on the post game show. the The feeling of what sort of impact this is going to have if and when Noah Hannafin gets traded now, because I'm of the belief. I, I mean, it's going to start Saturday. You're going to miss Chris Tanner. There's just no. Yeah replacing that guy and when the next shoe drops and it's Noah Hannafin uh, on his way out the door there's no way around it with all due respect to you know Braden Pahal and Dennis Gilbert and these kind of guys that have stepped up at, at times this season there's just no replacing that duo for the Calgary Flames and I I am generally curious as to what this team is going to look like and how this competitive streak that's lasted so long this season how it holds up to losing two guys like that, who I think we both know, as you mentioned, are you know big locker room guys here in Calgary. I think they're well liked. I think they've been part of that leadership group here in Calgary the last couple of years. And just how do you the fact that you can't replace any? There's just no replacing your top pairing this year. Yeah, and and you're putting a lot of pressure on on Mackenzie Weger and, and Rasmus Anderson to pick up the slack. Uh, in that regard, too, I mean, you're you're likely going to be in a situation where, where Jordan Osterley and Dennis Gilbert return to the lineup, maybe as a pairing, and they haven't played on the ice in how many games? I don't have it in front of me, but like it, it's been quite some time since we've seen both of those players on the ice, so that's also going to play into this too. Uh, but yeah, to the fact that the Flames are essentially going to be losing an entire defensive pairing should Noah Hannafin get traded by next week. That is really that puts a lot of pressure on the top pairing. That puts a lot of pressure on everyone else on the ice. Imagine the pressure on Jacob Markstrom, who has already played at such a high level throughout this year, and he's going to have to ramp it up a notch if the goal is to still make the playoffs. Let me let me ask you something based on what you just said. There, you said it's going to put a lot of pressure on the top pairing. But was Tanev Hannafin not the top pairing? 
Well, you're right. I, 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 you know what? I'll, I'll give you this. You're right. I think just the fact that Noah has been able to provide that offense and do decently on defense. I mean, you get, you get it. You have games where you make mistakes, but like Noah Hannafin typically is a guy who you kind of set him and forget it. He provides his offense. He, the, the offense he was providing this year was really good in terms mm-hmm. of the end to end rushes, the drives to the net. Like he was playing at a different level. And I think a lot of that has to do with how Chris Tanev was to playing to his right, where he's able to, you know, be solid defensively, keep things cool on the ice. One cool thing I think of from the game last weekend against the Edmonton Oilers, uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman and I ended up writing about this for the athletic, but we think of Chris Tanev as the big physical defenseman and he's blocking shots and all that. But in a matter of about like a minute, the Edmonton Oilers are coming up the ice. We know how they are with their speed and everything. Chris Tanev on those two separate occasions, again, within a minute, plays a role in breaking up those possessions and starting with that puck from behind the net and just calmly setting it to a teammate. And it leads to a breakout. It leads to zone exits. That's a pretty underrated part in his game. I don't think we we talk about enough and the Dallas Stars are going to benefit from it. This is a guy who he can stand up to other other top players on opposing teams, win possessions back and get possessions going offensively. Like that's a really good asset in his game. And the fact that he was able to do that against the Edmonton Oilers of all teams last week, like that's really strong on him. So the flames are definitely going to miss that. And, and, and I know you were, you were showing respect to Braden Bahal, who I think he's done a decent, admirable job in his time here. If this means he has to step up in that role with, with Noah Hannafin or who else, whoever else they'll put it in that role. Maybe we'll get a better sense at the next practice, but yeah, that's a, those are big shoes to fill. And once you lose Tanif and Hannafin, yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot of space that has to get filled uh, with those two guys being gone. Do you think they can hold out that same competitiveness, that same attitude that we've talked about for so long about you know, hey, we're not going to let the noise like get to us. We're going to continue to play and continue. Like I don't think that ever stops, but I wonder if this is just the ones, the two trades that take the wind out of their sails more than others. And with all due respect to Elias Lindholm, who's a great player, but let's be honest, was having a down year. He was. And didn't have the same impact losing him other years would have had. Yeah. This is a, a one this thing. This is we- one that's like, I, I really, I, 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 I'm not trying, again, it sounds like I'm, it's doomsday of, of Jordan Osterley and Dennis Gilbert jumping in the lineup. And Fine bottom pair defenseman. Exactly. And I'm not, I'm trying not to disparage them here, but it's just, I don't know how you absorb the kind of loss in the years that Chris Tanev and, and Noah Hannafin are having. I'm just, I'm generally so curious as to how this group tries to get along without those two. Cause I think it's going to be very, very tough. It's a good question. Uh, the one thing I'm intrigued about, it, it's I've, I've talked to other people about this, but a lot of people look at the April schedule for this team where, yeah, you have the Jets and you have the Oilers, but there's a lot of beatable teams. And the Vancouver Canucks are in there too, but there's a lot of beatable teams in Anaheim twice, Arizona, San Jose twice. And I get it. The Flames have struggled against those lesser teams, but if they're in that playoff mode... And those those lesser teams, maybe it's a little bit more of an incentive for them to, to lose those games and tank. Depending on where they're at in the standings, maybe that helps. And there's some games before then, too, where the schedule isn't as tough as remember that stretch just before Christmas where they were playing all those loaded teams. However, here's one stretch of games I'm very concerned about with this team and the competitive spirit. 
And I know we've seen this team play well against top teams, but a lot of that has to do with how Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev play. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to lose those players through trades and then you lose your competitive spirit and everyone's getting that pressure. It's a whole other thing when the last game you play before the deadline is a road game against the Tampa Bay Lightning and the next four games all after the deadline at Florida, at Carolina, home to Colorado, home to Vegas. That is a very, I think that that five game stretch there. That is a very tough stretch. And Seattle, well, we even throw Seattle in this too because I would. They'll play. They'll play them next week. They're f- still fighting for a playoff spot, right there with Calgary. Uh, that game means as much to Seattle in their playoff race as it does for anybody. I, I, we and and the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, look, they they're keeping their faint hopes alive too. And yeah, we'll hear from Ryan Huska, and you'll say every game's important and all that. But there is a very big chance in terms of keeping that competitive fire alive and the spirits up and everything. And maybe depending on what your playoff standing is, those six games, we could make it six instead of five. Those next six games after Pittsburgh, they could say a lot about where the, where the, the Calgary flames will end up being in the standings. It's, it's going to be fascinating to me. I'm, I'm generally curious as to what Friday brings as we start to see how the D pairings go. And it's, you know, it's only going to last for a week. Maybe if we're, if we're lucky uh, and we'll have to start talking about what the D pairings look like, is, is it as simple as once Noah Hannafin's gone, you just throw in an Osterley Gilbert pairing and your pairings are Weger, Anderson, Shillington, Bahal, Gilbert, and, and Osterley? Like, is it is it that simple? Is Ryan Huska going to try to change things up? Is there a an option in the American hockey? I imagine we're going to start to see somebody called up because – the Flames do like to operate with an extra defense when you understand why somebody gets sick, somebody gets hurt in morning skate. It's good to have uh, another body around. So Absolutely. who gets the call up uh, in the absence of, of uh, another defender being gone for the Calgary Flames? Like we're talking about this is the stretch where these changes are about to take place and we're going to see. We, we thought we've known what life's going to look like without Chris Tanev and Noah Hannafin. But as you mentioned, those six games and – who knows, maybe as soon as Saturday without Chris Tanev, you start to see what life's actually like without them on the ice. Could you imagine if the Flames come out of that stretch like four and two? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm not saying that necessarily gives them all these points that gives them a jump in the, in the standings, but we've seen this team play through tough stretches with tough opponents that are supposed to be better than them on paper. And whether those teams are playing back-to-back games or not, the Flames have found a way to get points off those teams. But, they have. And my but, and my head says, man, my head says they can't without those two guys. Yeah, I, 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 I'm I, on that same side with you, too. But at the same time, you make a good point because. Like, what does that happen? What is They've that? gone through structure. I didn't think they were going to start off post All-Star break minus Elias Lindholm and rack up wins against Boston, New Jersey and the Islanders. They have three four game winning streaks. Since mid-January, if they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins, it's going to be like the first time in like two years that this team's had a five-game winning streak. Like, this team just, I'll, I'll give them this, the competitive spirit on this team, considering what the first month was like, the fact that they've been able to rise up and, and try to get more more results, I'll give the team credit. They have it there. And player and some of those guys on the team, like a Nazem Kadri didn't have that hot of a start, but he's played better. 
Jonathan Huberto has been almost a point per game player since New Year's Eve. Like there's some there's some good guys on that team. Jacob Markstrom, we've we've praised him so many times on this show and on and whenever we talk after games. Like, man, there's some good players on this team. It's just they might just be too far down and to, to really make a run of it. And then if you take out those two players in Hanford and Tanev, it's just if they find a way to overcome that, man, that's that's a that's built different. We'll see. Uh the post Chris Tanev era. Kicks off on Saturday on Mika Kippersoft night at the Dome against the Penguins. And who knows, uh, between now and next Friday, it's the NHL's trade deadline. You know we're going to have you covered right here on Sportsnet 960. Uh, your trusted source for everything Flames leading up to the deadline. We're going to separate rumor from facts. If the Flames make a move, you're going to hear it here first. Friday, March 8th, we've got you covered locally all day long. Big show, Sportsnet today, wrapping it up with Flames Talk. Uh, whether the Flames wait until trade deadline to make another move or uh, whether or not uh, we just cover the events of the day. It's going to be a fun one. Uh, trade deadline on Sportsnet 960 brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. This season, trade up to all-star levels of security with cutting-edge locking hardware, master key systems, and access control solutions. It's time to make a strategic move and secure your destiny. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. Uh, closing out the hour with Adnan Verk, our pal from NHL Network, MLB Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. Logan and Julian here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Logan and J-Mac along with you on another edition of Sportsnet today. Lots on Chris Tanev. Calgary Flames moving on from another pending UFA. He was traded to the Dallas Stars Wednesday. We've been breaking it down all day. We heard from Brian Ray in hour one. Covers the Dallas Stars for Bally Sports Southwest. Heard from Chris Tanner himself, his first media availability a little earlier on this hour. Nothing but great things to say about his time in Calgary, but excited for a new opportunity in Dallas. And for the Flames, we will wait and see what's next. As of right now, they are off Thursday, Friday, and then back in action Saturday when they welcome in Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins for their lone visit to town. Oh, and it's Mika Kiprasov Jersey Retirement Night. Lots going on around the Calgary Flames right now, and uh, we'll have it all for you here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, but it is Thursday. Time for one of our favorite chats of the week. Our Thursday regular here on Sportsnet today is the one and only Adnan Verk, MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. AV, always good to chat, man. How you doing? My pleasure, Logo. Julian, great to be with you guys as always. Big Chris Tanev. I'm sure that's dominating for you guys right now. Yeah, we've been on this train, oh, God, all year long, and uh, the trade deadline will be a relief for many in this city once we're done with all the trade talk. Yeah, it was interesting. I was working with Bruce Boudreaux the other day on Sunday afternoon. It was, uh, of course, Chris Chelios having his jersey retired with the Blackhawks. I was supposed to be off, and I said, listen, because I'm Chelios' doppelganger, they may be working <laughs> Sunday afternoon, which is fantastic, just Honoring myself being retired there as a member of the Chicago Blackhawks. But oh my we did get some Flames talk in there. You'll be happy because Bruce and I were talking about potential names to be traded. And I brought up Jacob Markstrom. And Bruce said, listen, I, I, I wouldn't deal him because I think he's an elite goaltender. I think it's a good contract, $6 million a year. He said, I know the Flames are a bubble team. But he said, I, I wouldn't deal him, but we'll find out the next week or so what's going to happen. So we, uh, everybody's curious what happens with your beloved Calgary Flames here. Uh, what are your plans for deadline day? I'm actually going to be, uh, it's March 8th, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm actually going to be flying next week for spring training. I've not been to spring training in six years. 
first event will be networking wow. with me. So uh, on Monday, I, yeah, Monday I'm flying out to Fort Myers. Oh, wow. Uh, Monday I've got a day off. So if anybody knows that, let's get the text line going. What should Adam Burke do in Fort Myers, Florida? He has an entire day to himself. Uh, I'll be there Monday afternoon, and then Tuesday I'm there seeing the Red Sox. My old buddy Alex Cora. Wednesday is Twins, so see Carlos Correa. Thursday is Rays, which I'll be honest. They're, they're going to win 90 games, but the star power, they're not great. Maybe I'll go see Zach Elson. I don't know who it's going to be. Uh, Kevin Cash will be a nice conversation, I'm sure. And then Friday, I'm in Clearwater with Bryce Harper and the Phillies. Then I'm going to get a rental car and drive to Miami. It is Oscar weekend, and so Sunday I'm going to broadcast the Oscars. With former Marlins president David Sampson, fellow wow. movie guy, and my old friend Ben Lyons. Logo, you know me and Ben go way back, so Ben yep. is produced slash host. And we're going to the Oscars from the Metal Arc Studios in Miami, and then I'm flying back home on Monday. So long story short, trade deadline day, I'll be in Clearwater, Florida, hanging out with Bryce Harper and Nick Castellanos and fellow Canadian, Phillies manager Rob Thompson, the pride of Sarnia, Ontario. Man, I, I mean, look, if it wasn't for the work that we'll be doing back in Calgary on deadline day, I, I'd ask you to take me with you. Well, funny enough, the, the, the Flames will be in Florida. They'll be in the state of Florida uh, throughout that stretch of time. But uh, I very much would love the idea of going around to all these different spring, spring training games, seeing what's going on. Like, I, I've never had that experience. Like, what's that like? watching games in in whether in Fort Myers or Deneen or wherever in Florida and taking in those games. What's that like? Yeah, Julian, it's awesome. It's funny you mentioned Deneen, of course, naturally the Jays. It's a place I've always wanted to go and have not gone. ESPN sent me a couple of times. My first time I went to Bradenton, Florida, which is the home of the Pittsburgh Pirates. I remember getting there like, oh, my God, first time spring training, and it rained. It was hysterical. We were supposed to call the game. It rained. Our producer was mad. Everyone was in a bad mood. I was like, oh, my God, I flew all the way to Florida just to get rained out. But I remember thinking, it was a very rickety park. And someone telling me, listen, it's not like this is the major leagues. The idea of spring training is awesome for several reasons. If you're normally coming from the Northeast or wherever we are, because it's generally pretty cold. So you get there and it's 70 and sunny. Morning's a little chilly, but, you know, it's well, plus 25. It's wonderful, right? And the biggest thing is the players are in a great mood. So when you work in the media, sometimes these guys can actually be a little grumpy for a long season. But everyone's in a great mood. And the access is amazing. Ask them whatever you want. Talk to them however long you want. Because... Everyone's on spring training time and just kind of get loose and stretching in a great time. But the parks themselves, it was funny. Going to Bradenton, I'm like, oh, this is like a, like a rickety old ballpark. Like, this, this, is, this didn't have the pristine shine I thought it would. Seems like 3,000 in there forever. Now, Dunedin, somebody told me it used to be terrible, but of course the Jays have really amped it up, which is one of the reasons why my colleague and friend Tom Verducci was thinking Otani might go to the Jays because of how nice the spring training complex is that in is Dunedin. True. I have been to, yeah, I have been to Tampa to see the Yankees. Now, George M. Steinbrenner Field, what a surprise, right? The Yankees stands out. That place seats like 10,500. That's like a palatial estate when it comes to spring training because none of these places seat like four or 5,000. Fort Myers, where I'll be there with the Red Sox, I have been there before. The second time I went to spring training, I did get to call a game, and it was great. Well, one of the funniest things about JetBlue Park, which is where the Red Sox are in Fort Myers, is they have a mini green monster. I thought it was hysterical. I'm like, this, <laughs> this is the essence of spring training. It's, it's the majors, but not quite the majors. It's the facsimile of the majors. They have a, a mini monster. And that game that I called was David Ortiz's final spring training game. So it's like me and Tim Kirchner, and we're all like, you know, tongue firmly in cheek. What a memorable moment this is. We'll never forget we were at David Ortiz's final spring training home game. <laughs> and he drove... He, he drove out like in a golf cart at one point. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. It was not quite Ted Williams coming out in 1999 at the All-Star Game saying goodbye to the Red Sox faithful. Here's David Ortiz in a golf cart. Hey, see you guys. Having fun. Yeah. But it's really cool, Julian. All kidding aside, if you ever get a chance to go to spring training, hopefully do it for work, right? Have, not having a yeah. skateboard is the way to do it. Other people out there should go. But 
like I said, the weather's great. The guys are in a great mood. It's just a really cool environment. And then, and I'm doing it the right way, as you said. I get to go to four different parks, four different teams. So um, I'm gonna. It's gonna be great. I can't wait. Uh, we did last week. We talked to you about uh, MLB players not feeling great about some of the star talent that was still left in the free agent pool. Uh, since we've talked to you since then, at least one player has gotten some money uh, for waiting it out. Cody Bellinger is back with the Cubs. Uh, three-year, $80 million deal, opt-outs after each of the first two seasons. How surprised were you to see that kind of money on the table for Bellinger? Genuinely surprised how short the term was because he made $19 million last year, fellas, and we all know had a resurgence season. hit 306, you know, 27 home runs, 96 RBI. I may have transposed it. It's 26 home runs, 97 RBI. But regardless, knocking on the door at 30 and 100 and clearly looked to be back to being the guy who was a former MVP and rookie of the year and all the rest of it. So myself and uh, a few of the guys at work had been speculating. We thought a fair deal after making $19 million for a guy who's 29 years of age, five years, 125 should get it done. You know, I'm like, that, that's probably fair for the play. He gets a 20% raise. He gets five years. He goes into his early 30s. But the word was that apparently Scott Boris's camp was looking for like seven years, 210. And we said, that's outrageous. Like, who's going to pay that? Like, I like Cody Bellinger. He's a great guy. But I'm not giving him $30 million into three subpar seasons and one great bounce back year. So when I saw three years for 80, I said, that is tremendous work. Tremendous work for the Chicago Cubs. Because to me, I'm like, three years is nothing. Like, $80 million, that's not much of a commitment for a guy who was a great hitter for you. And for Bellinger, again, the, the, the new unvoked thing of Major League Baseball now is opt-outs. Before you get these 10-year deals, right? Pujols, terrible contract ended up being for the Angels. 10-year deal, Miggy, terrible contract. Well, now it works out for both sides. We'll give you some money, but how about an opt-out? Yeah, cool. So if Bellinger goes out and has another great season, which he believes he will be with Scott Borsoli, guess what? That'll be a free agent once again. He'll opt-out, all good. And he'll have just made $30 million, which is a 50-plus percent raise from the $19 million he made this past season. If he stinks, no problem. I'll come back again. And if I rake that second year, guess what? I'll opt out again. So he gets two cracks of free agency, still 29, 30, not too old just of yet. And so for the Cubs, they protect themselves in that it's only three years guaranteed $80 million. You know, worst case scenario, suppose Ballinger is absolutely dreadful. Well, that's much better than giving him $80 million guaranteed versus 150, 180, 200, whatever the numbers were that Scott Boris and Deeper Company. And for Ballinger's perspective, I wouldn't say it's a loss because, to me, $30 million a year is still great. But I'm sure he and Scott were thinking it was going to be a bigger deal for more years and more money. But, again, if you take care of business, if you believe in yourself, you'll have another crack at free agency, and that money will be there. And I thought Scott Forrest is very transparent. He said there's, there's 11 teams that have spent less this offseason than they, what they did a year ago. So the market wasn't as robust as we were expecting. No problem. We'll take a beat. Still get a nice raise. He loves Chicago. Cubs are a good team. And we'll give it a shot next year. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about this next topic because I think it's one that Julian will uh, be able to appreciate as well. We talked a few weeks ago about our uh, you know, Mount Rushmore of sports broadcasters, but I was scrolling through your Twitter feed today, Adnan, and thought this would be perfect to bring up. What do you think about the legacy of Peter King and, and his retirement? And will there ever be another prominent sports writer quite like Peter King in the written word of Monday morning quarterback? The absolute legend logo. I mean, I'm growing up in Canada that we know as the advent of the internet was really becoming huge when I was in college from 96 to 2000, Peter King was a must-read column, period. And his column grew in popularity and stature and importance just as the NFL did. You know, the NFL wasn't always the biggest, baddest sport in the block. You know, there was a time that basketball was huge in the 90s, 
the Jordan era. There was a time that the Yankees dynasty, late 90s, when baseball was king. But, like, football started to take over. And you could literally see Peter King and his profile get, like, be part of that machine. And if you were a football fan, you couldn't just watch the games. You went and checked out Monday morning quarterback, which became a term unto itself. And particularly, I always liked 10 things I think I think, which was great because he would have stuff in there about football, but then he was a noted coffee guy. He'd find some coffee place he enjoyed. He was a big baseball guy, huge Red Sox fan. Um, absolute must, must read and became a must listen because he was excellent on the air as well. Mm-hmm. So I was very fortunate when I was at ESPN. I got to interview him a few times on the radio. Uh, one of my good friends, Irv Ho, got me his book, and he sent it to Peter King. I got an autograph, which was great. And, and two big compliments to me. The, the biggest one was it was 2018. I'll have to find the exact column. I don't even know why he was mentioning me. Well, my brother never missed a Peter King column. And he's never going to leave it. You got mentioned in Peter King's column. And I don't even know what the context was, but he said something like watching Adnan Burke on ESPN about blah, blah, blah. And he said he is the blank of broadcasters. And he gave like a Ben Zobris type. Like it was some baseball player of his era, maybe Manny Sanguian, someone yeah. from the 60s and 70s. He goes, he's like the Manny Sanguian. You know, Burke does it all and he's so versatile. And I was like, I can't believe I just got mentioned in Peter King columns. <laughs> now, to, to, to be humble about it, his columns were like 12,000 words. So it's like, it wasn't like the, the feature thing was like, <laughs> hey, here's my thoughts on, uh, you know, here's, here's my thoughts on J.J. Watt. By the way, how about that, man? Bro? I appreciate, I appreciate you being humble yeah. about being mentioned you in Peter in a, King column, by the way. You were in the headline or the subhead. It was just... Yeah. It's more of a footer. Yeah. It would, oh, it would, that. Right. It would be in the newspaper. It'd be like in the postscript of the postscript. Way, way detail in the fine print. But I, I couldn't believe it. And I sent him a DM and I was like, oh, my God. Like, I can't believe I'm in a Peter King column. And I got mentioned. I can't make it up. And here's the funniest part. He doesn't respond for 10 weeks. But eventually he did respond. And, and his response said, of course, Adnan, I'm a big fan. And, and, he, and he was so preferential. He goes, wow, it only took me 10 weeks to respond. Sorry about that. And I said, oh, better no. late than never. And then, that, and then that was my tweet the other day. I said, Peter King once responded to my DM. It took him 10 weeks, but much like his column, it was always worth the wait. So he's, uh, he's a total class act. And uh, Richard Deitch, of course, does a great job for the Athletic. Well, I know pretty well from all the times so he interviewed me on in the Sports Illustrated Media podcast. Yes. Rich and I were talking over text. And he goes, listen, I worked at Peter at Sports Illustrated. He said, his legacy will always be he was the preeminent sports writer of the number one sport in the country, but he honestly was worth his weight in gold as a person. He goes, there's not one guy at SI that doesn't speak glowingly about him. And he goes, honestly, proof of his culture and his influence, he went from being the, the head NFL guy at SI to creating his own website. Like Monday Morning Quarterback in 2013, he goes, that became its own entity. And yeah. that led to lots more jobs and the specificity of that. Then went to NBC, of course, where he was really good on TV doing football right in America. And still his column was to this day for NBC Sports. And, um, you know, obviously my deeply admired colleague Keith Overman, Keith was on his podcast, and he was talking with Peter King. He said his wife is also a Hall of Famer. He said she would always come and bring him baked goods, like for the crew on Football Night in America. So, you know, at that time, what was that? Costas, Keith, uh, Dan Patrick, you know, uh, all those guys. He yeah. said what the will remember is that Peter King was a great guy, but also his wife, a-plus Baker. And I texted Keith. He goes, honestly, Ann King should have her own line of Baker. <laughs> so I, I always think it's funny. Like, you hear about these people who are great people, and inevitably they're married to wonderful people as well, right? The spouses are there as well. And, and he said, by the way, which I thought was very fair in his column, like, you know, I've had to make a lot of sacrifices in 40 years as a sports writer for my wife and my kids, and that's part of the gig, of course. I'm not going to be here. You know, I'm on the road quite a bit with the, you know, and I, and I liked his honesty as well. It was, it was so refreshing when he said, it got so far, I really didn't care about scouting combine, right? Like, I just didn't, I didn't care anymore. And he said in a lot of terms, because true happiness felt like being in bed at 9.15 at night, which is <laughs> a hilarious line. And it's true, after 40 years 
you can't possibly care about the scouting combine or free agency in March the way you used to. So good for him for going out on his own terms. He's such a gifted writer and so prolific. I'm sure he'll do something. But as far as a, a weekly column, it's, uh, it's unfortunate he won't be there. But again, I, I'm just thrilled to have an interaction with him, and he gave me a shout-out. Uh, very well said on Peter King, a legend in the writing game and covering the National Football League. We'll stay there because I'd love to know your thoughts on the NFLPA report card rankings. Uh, they do this, this is the second straight year they've done this where uh, facilities, working environment, even the cafeteria gets ranked among all 32 NFL teams. Uh, the Eagles in the top five. Uh, you know, pretty good for them. Uh, but I uh, was curious if you saw that list and uh, your thoughts on it. I have not, but I, I always find it interesting. What was it specifically doing in terms of the NFL as far as their the, the, the rankings as far as their prospects and such? So not prospects. It's li- it's more like their actual facilities, the working environment, like the cafeteria. Quality, quality of life almost for being in an organization. Yeah. Like, like what you, they provide yeah. to players. If you're an NFL player and you have kids and you want to use your, your team's facilities for their daycare, like are you paying $75 yeah, yeah, yeah. for your kid like what the LA Chargers do? Or I'm not sure how it goes for other teams. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. And to be honest, to go back to what I was saying with Otani, that's what Verducci was trying to sell me on. He was, listen, with these guys now, they're their own corporate entity. It's a 24-7 profession. We have long gone from the days of season starts in September. We end in December or January. It's been funny because it's a year-round thing. And a lot of guys now live in the cities where they play. So if you play for the Arizona Cardinals, that's the commitment you're making to Tempe, Arizona, or to Phoenix. And you're going to be in the Glendale area, and that's where your wife and your kids are going to be. And honestly, I think it goes a long way because – Again, these guys are so talented and they're so good. Every little thing can make a big difference. And I've heard players say, no, their training facilities are top-notch. Um, you know, go back to Chelios. In the midst of who he's thanking, right? He's thanking former teammates, former coaches, you know, Jeremy Roenick, Dirk Gray, whatever. But in the midst of that, he's mentioning his trainer. Like the guy who got the biggest shot, he goes, i got to mention my trainer. Because he says, Michael Jordan, when I met him in the 90s, Playing in Chicago, I learned about how dedicated this guy was, and he had his own trainer, and the fact that he was at a different fitness level than everybody else. And I got my own trainer, and that's why I was 47, 48 years old, playing 10 games with Atlanta Thrashers before I retired. So don't ever mistake the fact, if you talk to a star athlete, they are going to go beyond the things you expect. It is not just their teammates. It's the training staff. It's the coaching. It's the training facility. It's what's available to them. And you're right about it. Even the families are a big part of it, too, right? Like, listen, wives and kids have a big part of this situation. So there's a reason why they're going to say, no, I, I want my husband to be happy. I want to be successful. We want to be happy as well. So I think it's an interesting ranking system. I'll take a look. Debbie mentioned it. But I'm sure that, that those teams take a close look at that. If you're ranked, by the way, you know, I think if you're ranked top five, you feel good about yourself. If you're middle of the road, whatever. But if you're in the bottom five, you're like, okay, we've got some work to do here. Like, this is not going to help with free agency right around the corner. No. Um, I was trying to remember, I think Kansas City, funny enough, is in the bottom five of those survey wow. rankings. And a lot of it has to do with one thing I saw going around. I think there were supposed to be renovations to their locker room. I'm trying to remember where I saw this, but I know but I, I know it's legit. But it seems as if there were supposed to be renovations done to their locker room. But because they went as far as they did in the Super Bowl in the playoffs, those yeah. renovations were ultimately delayed. Which is kind of a weird thing, but like... There's that, and there's other factors, obviously, that put them at 31st, but one big reason was their own uh, locker room. Yeah, but I mean, and that makes a big difference. I remember for years I'd hear guys talking about in baseball playing for the Cubs and the Reds, and they go, oh, it's terrible. They go, what part of it's terrible? They go, you understand how bad the visiting locker room is and the home locker room is. Like, we don't care if the visiting locker room is bad, what do we care? Like, we, we want to make that bad for the opposing teams. 
but it would suck like for the home team. And then go if everything's cramped and dirty and de- decrepit, like those are important things. These guys talk about that stuff, and I think it makes sense. Imagine you have a great job at nine six, but when you go there, you, know, you have an office. You know, you got to use a shared computer. There's no snack machine. The cubicles are bad. Like it sounds funny, but like every aspect of your work environment is impacting your actual work. So if a guy is there playing hard for the Chiefs, but he goes, you know what? We can't get this done because we don't have the other facilities other teams have. It's like analytics. You know what I mean? If you don't have the information other teams have, you feel like you're behind. So that's not that's not shocking that Casey's bottom five, but I would imagine they're taking a close look at that and saying, all right, let's beef this up, boys. We don't want to get hurt here for agency. You know, the one thing we have Mahomes, the other hand, we have these decrepit training facilities. Let's improve this. Come on. Uh, before we let you go, what you got going on in the Cinephile podcast, Virk? Um, that's a great question. I think I just spoke to him. I speak to the other day. We had uh, Mark came on recently on. He was the location manager uh, for the Sopranos. He's got some great stories. That was last week. This Dune review. Course, Dune two. Yep. Yeah, Dune two. Going tonight. Canadian, Canadian. Yeah, are you guys going to go? You got to see it. I saw it last week, which is why it wasn't on top of mind. I was so lucky to see it at the sneak peek, the Warner Brothers screening room, which was awesome. And uh, honestly, it's spectacular. It really is because Villeneuve, who you know, French Canadian. Made a film called Ensembles, which I'm not sure how many people saw, but it's amazing. I've seen that movie, Ensembles. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing, right, Julian? You know, your your uh, Montreal ties, Quebec ties. You know, so Ensembles is like a great film, but I never would have expected the guy who made Ensembles would make like Arrival and Dune <laughs> One and Dune Two. Like he's gone from kind of like Christopher Nolan, the small filmmaker who made Memento and Following, to a guy who makes The Dark Knight and makes Oppenheimer. Similarly with Villeneuve, I thought he might make these like small human interest stories. He makes Prisoners, which of course is great with Hugh Jackman. But now you give him a big budget, and my man knocks it out of the park. So it's, um, I think there's definitely a parallel with Nolan. And the biggest thing I can say is, as you guys know, with movies like this, got to go see it on the biggest screen possible. So wherever the IMAX is in Calgary or the biggest theater, the sound is amazing, the cinematography. I said in my review, it felt like Lawrence of Arabia in the, in the sand dunes. Like, it was just <laughs> epic watching it. And uh, great cast. You know, it's, it's the kind of cast the critics like, too. Chalamet, yeah. Javier Bardem, Christopher Walken. Like, it's really eclectic actors and uh, obviously young crowd that was going to die as well. So I hope you guys enjoy it, man. It's good because it's, it's pretty sluggish movie time in February. You're kind of waiting for the Oscars and the big summer movies don't come out yet. So to get Dune 2 out of like a time like this, it's a real treat for movie fans. And then always appreciate the time, man. Safe travels to uh, Florida. We'll chat with you again soon. Thanks, Logo. Thanks, Julian. Talk soon, boys. Take care. Ed Denver joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline as we close things out. On a Thursday edition of Sportsnet today, Logan Gordon and Julian McKenzie uh, along with you. It's been a busy day, J-Mac, but appreciate you stopping by. We went through all the Chris Tanev stuff we possibly could on this Thursday. Brian Ray joined us. We heard from Chris Tanev live, his first media availability, so we appreciate uh, doing all of that. And only gets busier tomorrow. The legend himself will speak to the media ahead of uh, his jersey being retired at the Scotiabank South. I'm here from Mika Kippersoft tomorrow, so looking forward to that. Yeah, that's going to be really... That, you know, it's it's so wild that this is happening. Like, I know I'm not from Calgary, but I remember the 2004 playoffs, and I remember Mika Kippersoft standing on his head and, and ultimately being the proving to be the goalie of the, the now, the future, and the present, and all that for Calgary, and... I know for The Athletic, we're working on a story where we're comparing his stats between his and, and Mike Vernon and the debate over who's the best goalie of all time. But to see him get that respect from this organization, that is such a cool thing. 
And I can't wait to see this ceremony over the weekend and see how he celebrated and to hear from him tomorrow and and discuss having all that attention. He seemed like a guy who was not necessarily someone who wanted to be in the spotlight all the time, no. but with the way that he played the game, how could you not put him there? Uh, he's Julian McKenzie, covers the Flames for the Athletic and regular contributor here to Sportsnet 960. Uh, J-Mac, we'll talk to you soon, pal. Appreciate you as always. Yes, sir. Uh, thanks to Shane and Cam, our outstanding producers on this Thursday edition of the program. Missed anything, check us out on the podcast, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. Back on a Friday, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.